Hey everyone, welcome back to Here in Apologetics. So glad you're joining us today. Today I'm joined by doc, Dr. Max baker Heights. He's a philosopher in the United Kingdom. Um, he's authored many different papers and he's co-author of a paper on the Evil God Challenge. Um, so Max, thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Zach. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this conversation, just kind of looking at the Evil God Challenge and some of the um, proposed symmetries and asymmetries, um, kind of looking at this. So to start off, could you like introduce yourself and talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do? Yeah, thanks, Zach. So yeah, I, I'm a, I guess I'm a philosopher. Um, I teach philosophy at Wycliffe Hall, which is part of um, Oxford University. Um, I also um, work with the, the OCA, which is the Oxford Centre for Christian Apologetics. So I kind of inhabit two worlds. So I'm a professional academic and I also do some apologetics. Um, yeah, I did my PhD at Oxford in philosophy of religion with, um, with Brian Leftow. And um, yeah, I did that looking at kind of um, the, the epistemology of Alvin Plantinga. Um, yeah, so, so I'm really interested in um, philosophy of religion, epistemology, <clears throat> also really interested in New Testament studies and historical Jesus. Mm, that's awesome. Um, so today we're going to be taking a look at like the evil God challenge and there's like um, symmetries and like kind of how Hmm. Sorry, Zach, I missed that. Your connection dropped out a little bit. <clears throat> My apologies. I will work on that. But basically, I was just asking you, like, what is the Evil God Challenge? Yeah, right. So the, the Evil God Challenge is a, is a kind of parody argument against theism. So, you know, in general, a parody argument is where you say, um, well, th this concept or argument is... Um, is like this concept or argument. So A is like B and B is just obviously ridiculous. And therefore A is also just as ridiculous, right? So that's a, <clears throat> a sort of familiar type of argument. And so the evil God challenge is really trying to say, well, look, the, the, the good God hypothesis, which lots of people believe in, has all these <clears throat> um, symmetries or these um, ways in which it is similar to the uh, the hypothesis of an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-evil being, which is a concept that hardly anyone believes in. But the idea is, well, look, everyone thinks that, it, or, you know, most people think that an evil god is is ridiculous. But given these these symmetries, um, then we should actually think that the the good god is just as ridiculous. Mm. So um, in, in the paper, you talk about like these three kinds of symmetries that will be used by like evil God proponents. Do you want to kind of just like talk about those three and what's going yeah. on? Yeah, sure. Well, um, so, I mean, this isn't um, people who actually promote the evil God challenge don't generally um, frame it in quite this way. But I, I think they uh, the, the proponents of the evil God challenge need to. Um, if their challenge is going to work, they need to show that the, the evil God is uh, symmetrical to the good God in the following three ways. So the one that they talk the most about is is with respect to the problem of evil. So uh, proponents of the evil God challenge will will argue that. Um, so just as you know, there's a problem of evil for theism. How is it that a good God could allow so much evil and suffering? And, you know, theists will try to defend uh, 
theism by appealing to what are called theodicies, which are basically stories that try to, um, yeah, it, it try to kind of uh, give plausible reasons God might have for allowing evil for the sake of some greater goods, right? And so um, what evil God uh, or proponents of the evil God challenge will say is, well, <clears throat> the, the hypothesis of an all evil God faces the problem of good why would an uh, you know an all evil being allow there to be so much goodness in the world and they point out that you can kind of take some of the or even most of the theodicies that theists offer and you can basically reverse them so that um you know instead of saying well you know a good god would allow evil because um it sort of allows uh, human character to be built so it's a sort of soul making theodicy you know um trials and uh, tribulations um allow for courage and um maturity to be formed in a person well the evil god uh, hypothesis might be defended against the problem of good by saying that well you know the reason that um an evil god allows goodness um uh, in the world is is to allow people to become kind of decadent and uh, you know he allows good things so that people can in, overindulge and become greedy and kind of corrupt their characters so a sort of soul corruption reversed the odyssey so anyway all that to say um proponents of the evil god challenge want to say that there's a more or less um perfect symmetry between the two uh, in terms of the, the the problem of good is a really big problem for the evil god hypothesis. The problem of evil is a really big problem for the good hypo good god hypothesis. Both try to defend themselves with theodicies, um, attempted explanations that try to reconcile the you know evil god or the good god with the presence of so much good or so much evil. And they claim that you can more or less do this equally well in either direction. Um, now, um, as I said, they, you know, that tends to be what most of the discussion centers around in the, in the literature, but there are two other symmetries that evil God uh, challenges. Now, sorry, I keep using this phrase, proponents of the evil God challenge or evil God challenges. Just to be clear, these are not people who believe in the evil God hypothesis. These are people who claim that the, the evil God and good God are symmetrical, right? Um, <clears throat> and generally they're atheists. So yeah, evil God challengers need to maintain two other symmetries. So we've talked about the problem of good and problem of evil, but they also need to maintain uh, symmetry with respect to the evidence which there might be for the good God hypothesis or the evil God hypothesis. They need to claim that the evidence that's out there um, supports these two hypotheses roughly equally. It doesn't support one of them more than the other. And then, and we can, we might call that natural theology symmetry, and natural theology being the endeavour of kind of arguing from um, evidence in the natural world to the existence of God. Um, and then finally, and and this is the one that's least discussed, and and indeed some evil God challenges kind of try to get around it, having to take it into account at all, which we could talk about in a minute, is what, what you might call intrinsic coherent symmetry. So even if, um, you know, the problem of good and the problem of evil are, are as big 
you know, problems for those two hypotheses. And even if the evidence out there in the world equally supports the two hypotheses, they could still be asymmetrical because one of them is um, just incoherent. Int intrinsically, the concept is incoherent, whereas the other, the in, in the case of the other one, the concept is coherent. So, so that's what we, we can call intrinsic coherent symmetry. Is it like equally plausible? that they, the, the, the concept in and of itself is um, logically coherent. Um, and so, yeah, as I said, the um, evil god challenger, if they want to claim that, you know, the ridiculousness of the, the evil god hypothesis, the implausibility of it transfers over to the good god hypothesis, they, they have to say that in all of those three respects, uh, they're basically on a par. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, and hopefully you can, I think you can hear me good because my connection, I apologize if I like phase out or something. I checked my internet before this and I was like, oh, it's going to be great. And now it's like iffy, but we'll see how it goes. Um, but with the intrinsic like coherence symmetry where, um, or asymmetry where, you know, maybe like an evil God challenge, I want to say we could have like an omnipotent, omniscient, um, malevolent being, um, an all evil being. Um, let's talk about some of like the proposed asymmetries that you have. And one of them is like the bracketing move. Can you talk about like what you think it is and like why you believe it fails for evil god proponents? Right. So this is a move that um, two two philosophers who who um, propose the evil god challenge um, try to make this move, which is and the, the the point of the move is to try and say we don't have to worry about intrinsic coherence. Like it doesn't matter if the evil god is is an incoherent uh, concept. Um, so the the uh, so the it's Stephen Law and Asher Lancaster Thomas who both tried to make this move, and the the move is basically to say, well, <clears throat> um, it's because the re the move is basically to say, look, even um, uh, it, when you put aside all considerations to do with intrinsic uh, symmetry, uh, intrinsic coherence, theists would still believe. In uh, theists would still believe in the good God, um, even if it were the case that. Um, <clears throat> uh, so actually, no, that's not the best way to put it. I think the best way to put it is this: the, the bracketing move basically says that the reason theists reject the evil God is not really because of intrinsic coherence; it's really because of the problem of good, right? And if that's the real reason, then even if you took away the stuff about intrinsic. Um, incoherence, they would still reject the evil god hypothesis because it, their real reason for rejecting it is there's too much goodness in the world. And if that's correct, then uh, then what the evil god challenger can say is, well, okay, then given the symmetry, then we can just focus on that symmetry at the level of the problem of evil. Because if there, if the symmetry holds there, then uh, you know, if the, the theist is maintaining that there's too much goodness in the world for there to be an evil God, well, just flip it around. And given the symmetry between the problem of good and the problem of evil, then there's too much evil in the world for there to be a good God. So that's basically how <clears throat> the bracketing move is supposed to work. It, it works by trying to say that um, the theist's real reason for, for rejecting the evil God hypothesis is the amount of goodness in the world. 
So okay, another question with regards to, like the evil guy challenges, like is it even like a coherent notion? Um, like to say that we can have like a like a all powerful, all knowing, um, always present being that's perfectly evil. Um, so, like, what are your thoughts on like if the evil guy challenges yeah. even? Well, um, could I first say something, Zach, about um, what I about the bracketing move and why I don't think it works? Yeah, no, my apologies. I totally just skipped by that. My apologies. No, 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 that's fine. So the bracketing move, I, I think, I think the bracketing move doesn't work, um, or at least it doesn't work against all theists. And the reason is just that theists are not compelled to reject the evil god hypothesis just because of the amount of goodness in the world. Like, that's not the reason I reject the evil god hypothesis. Um, I and, and I actually grant uh, roughly, I mean, we'll get into this later, but I, I do think there is like an approximate symmetry between the problem of evil and the problem of good and the theodicy, the theodicies that can be used on both sides. Um, so, but that's the amount of goodness in the world is not the reason I reject the evil God hypothesis. Um, so put it like this, the, the, the bracketing move only works against theists who accept the following two things. Firstly, um, that they reject the problem, they, sorry, they reject the evil God hypothesis because of the amount of goodness. And secondly, and this is important, they also think, these theists also think that the amount of goodness and the amount of evil in the world is roughly balanced. Because if you think about it, a theist who rejects the evil God hypothesis <clears throat> because of the amount of goodness in the world um, could still be a theist, um, maintain theism without in any internal inconsistency, as long as they think that there's much more goodness than evil in the world, right? Because in that sense, they still think that there's an asymmetry. So it only works against a very specific type of theist, this, this move does, that is. Or it's only going to get traction against theists who think that the amount of goodness and evil in the world is sort of balanced, and there's too much goodness in the world for there to be an evil god. Of course, that would commit them to thinking that there's too much evil in the world for a good god. But I actually don't, uh, I, I suspect, and the um, Ben Page, who I wrote um, the paper on this topic um, that's in um, Pacific Philosophical Quarterly, we, we did a, actually do a kind of straw poll um, among various um, kind of philosophers we know who are interested in this topic to ask them, whether they accept both of those things. And actually, we have, we found hardly anyone who accepted those two claims. Hmm. That's interesting. Anything else you want to say on the Brackley move before we take coherence of the evil guy challenge? No, I think that's everything to say on that. <laughs> yeah, so... Awesome. So what do you think then about, um, like, the coherence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, sorry, my internet's a little wacky. Um, I apologize, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. So uh, the coherence of the evil God, I mean, like, it's definitely um, going to be the case that a number of different ways of thinking about the divine attributes is just going to yield the result that an evil God is not a coherent concept. <clears throat> so, I mean, like, you know, classical theists, um, who think that um, being and goodness are, are intrinsically related to each other are not, you know, it's 
if you have that kind of view, it's just not going to make sense to say that there's a, a, a kind of maximal being who is evil, uh, who is sort of the ultimate reality. Um, and yeah, and as you know, as you've seen in, in the paper, um, we talk about a number of other um, issues for for the concept, the the conceptual coherence of an evil god, including you know the way that God is supposed to be related to moral truth. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think um, like I think that the issue of intrinsic coherence is one of the biggest problems for the concept of an evil god. Mm, that's interesting. Um, another thing you talk about is this idea of like, is evil just like the privation of good? Um, like that's one view on like the relationship between good and evil. So could you talk like a little bit about like what that is and the potential like implications for the evil guy challenge? Yeah, sure. So uh, let me say like I'm somewhat agnostic about the privation theory of evil. Um, so you know, um, this is what happens when you write co-authored papers. You you don't always hold the same views on everything <laughs> as a co-author. So yeah, I'm a little bit more um, agnostic on this issue, but so yeah, I can say, you know, in terms of what is the privation theory of evil, the idea is that evil isn't a, an, a, an independently existing reality. Evil is always parasitic on goodness. Um, you can't just have evil on its own without it, there being some good thing which evil is a distortion or perversion of, right? So this is a, you know, this is a theory that, um, people normally trace back to Augustine of Hippo. Um, so, you know, in terms of, so there are people still today in the, in the philosophy of literature who will defend this theory of, um, of evil. Now, you know, the, the way that this, um, the way that some people used to try to argue for a probation theory of evil was to basically run through like sort of examples of evil things and try to show how you could, it would make sense to think of them as always being a, a distortion of some good thing, right? So you could say, well, look, you think of war is a, is an evil. <clears throat> well, war is a is a privation of peace. It's a state in which peace has been disrupted. So you know, say, well, war is dependent on peace. Uh, you know, the evil of betrayal is a privation or it's a distortion of a trusting relationship and you just kind of work through examples of good things and uh, sorry evil things and try and show how they're always fundamentally dependent on good things um i don't really think that's a very good strategy because um it's sort of too feels a bit too piecemeal and uh, you know as as this, as we say in the paper I think the better approach to trying to defend uh, the privation theory is to give a general theoretical account of what goodness is, um, one which will see evil as being kind of dependent on goodness. So, and the the theory that we have in mind is what what's sometimes known as an attributive account of goodness. So this is an account of the the metaphysical nature of goodness. So on this, on the attributive theory of goodness, you you can never say that something just is good, right? It's always a good X, right? So to basically to be good on this theory is to be a well-functioning type of thing. So you can have like a good knife and, and a good knife is good because, well, it's doing, it's fulfilling its function well, the function of what it is to be a knife. You can have a, a, a good car 
which fulfills its function well of being a car. You can have a good human being, um, which um, you know, which is a person who fulfills to a high degree the sort of um, telos or goal of what it is to be human. <clears throat> but there's no such thing as just being good as such, right? So you, you hopefully get the gist of, of this theory. And the reason that a privation theory of evil kind of flows from this theory of goodness is that evil is just kind of when something uh, doesn't succeed in fulfilling its function well. So it's um, so uh, like um, badness or evil um, is just when something um, is a badly functioning example of that type of thing. Um, now, you know, I as I said earlier, I'm I'm a bit agnostic about this approach because I I do have this intuitive pull to want to say that there is like a distinctively um, moral kind of goodness that isn't just reducible to whether something is a properly functioning instance of its kind. Um, I mean, an, an, a, a particularly tricky case for privation theorists of evil is to make sense of the badness of pain. So it's, you know, many people find it plausible that pain is intrinsically bad, which is not to say pain, pain can bring about something good, but that, you know, that would be to say that pain is extrinsically good. And, and that's fine. You know, you can say like pain is good insofar as it brings about some good outcome, but just in and of itself, pain is a bad thing. <clears throat> Seems quite plausible. But what, um, like, does it really make sense to say that pain, what pain is, is a, a sort of like deficiency or a failure of something to fulfill its function? And I'm not really sure that, you know, how plausible it is to, to give an account of pain that's like that. So all that to say, you know, I think that the attributive theory of goodness is the best way to defend the privation theory of evil. Um, and you know, if if the privation theory of evil uh, were true, then um, you know the the evil god hypothesis wouldn't uh, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't be coherent because it would be positing a kind of ontologically ultimate being who is um, you know evil, which on this theory is to sort of be a deficient example of something. It is to sort of in some way lack something. Um, which doesn't seem to kind of uh, work with saying that this being is ontologically ultimate. <clears throat> so the last thing you talk about, like with regards to, like intrinsic coherence, is like the relationship between like moral truth and the evil God challenge. Um, so like like relationship um, between like how God relates to moral truth matter when we're looking at like challenge. Um, so yeah, how does this impact the evil God challenge? So yeah, I mean, um, I think potentially this. Uh, this issue does impact the evil God challenge. The way it impacts it is by suggesting that <clears throat> the evil God, the evil God hypothesis, can only be coherent given uh, certain theories of how God relates to uh, moral goodness or moral truths. Um, whereas the the good God hypothesis is coherent given um, a much wider range of theories. So it's sort of like saying. The evil god hypothesis is um, is sort of you get in when you look at the landscape of possible accounts of how God relates to moral truths. The evil god sort of gets squeezed uh, in a way that the good god hypothesis doesn't. 
Mm. So its plausibility gets reduced in that way. Um, so yeah, in terms of, and you know, without going into all the details, the, the, the general thought is this, like you've got, you know, you've got various accounts of how God relates to goodness. Um, and many of them in, involve claims about goodness being grounded in God's nature or God's commands. And the, the basic issue is just that if we say that um, you know, goodness is dependent on God's nature or commands, then the evil God, um, no matter what the, the, you know, his character traits are, how cruel, um, <clears throat> how malicious, whatever, the evil God, according to these different theories, will be good because goodness is, uh, is dependent upon uh, whatever God's um, nature is or whatever his commands are. So uh, it, it, it just won't be the case that um, this being is actually an evil God. So there's, there's a kind of conceptual problem there, which you don't have with the good God hypothesis. <clears throat> Mm. Um, where you know, goodness is dependent on God's character traits, and so um, you know, where, uh, well, sorry, on on any hypothesis where um, God's uh, nature or commands or whatever is the thing that grounds goodness, um, you, you don't have a you don't have a, an inconsistency problem there. Uh, you you know that that being is indeed a, a good God. Um, as the hypothesis claims, whereas you have this issue with the evil God hypothesis that you don't actually end up getting to call that being evil um, mm. because of the dependence of goodness on that being's uh, nature or commands and so on. So all that to say, the, the only hypothesis, um, it seems to me, on which an evil God ends up coherent is the one in which the nature of the metaphysical nature of moral truth has nothing to do with God, basically. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's very thoughtful. Um, so the next kind of like categories of symmetries is like with mm-hmm. regards to natural theology. Um, you talk about like two different kinds of arguments. Um, so the first one is like an ontological argument where we say like, well, it's possible that like a maximally great being exists. Um, and if you exist in all possible worlds, you know, like an ontological argument. But then couldn't you say like the same thing with regards to like it's possible that a maximally evil being exists? Um, so I'm curious, like, what are your thoughts on the proposed symmetry with regards to ontological arguments in the evil God challenge? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I, I actually think that a lot of this is going to link back to how we conceive of the metaphysical nature of goodness and perfection. Because so um, ontological arguments generally rely on um, something to do with, like, um, you know, the notion of perfection or, ma- you know, a maximal degree of, of a good making property. So, you know, um, the, uh, the the modal ontological argument, which is sort of the currently most popular version of ontological arguments, basically says that it's possible that uh, necessarily a, a, a perfect being exists. Um, and from the possibility that first that possibility premise, uh, given certain um, rules of inference in modal logic, which are quite widely accepted, the very possibility of a necessarily existing perfect being entails the actuality of that perfect being. But so yeah, of course, that built into that premise is is the concept of a perfect being and. So whether you can kind of make this argument work for an all evil being is going to depend crucially on how you understand perfection. Could a, could you have a um, a maximally evil being who was perfect? Um, 
and as I said, I I think um, I mean given a number, given like a lot of traditional ways of of thinking about the divine attributes, about these great making properties, that 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 is not going to make any sense to say that you could have a a, a maximally evil being who is a perfect being. Um, I mean, you know. This this does link in part to like how we construe the metaphysical nature of goodness, and certainly if you have a privation type theory, uh, it's not going to make any sense to think in terms of um, a maximally uh, evil being being a perfect being. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's great. Um, and yeah, do you have anything you want to? Were you going to add something? Well, I think it all all to say, all that to say. I, I mean, I think as well. I mean, and this isn't the the. There is quite a lot of literature on the ontological argument now, and there are a number of um, philosophers who engage with parody arguments because parody arguments are kind of a long-standing way of trying to respond to the ontological argument. Basically to say, well, yes, but you can make this argument work just as well for an all-evil being. And um, yeah, I think uh, all, just to acknowledge, I'm not like as familiar with that literature um, as with some of the other issues we've touched on. So, but all I'd say, I don't, uh, it's not the case that the only um, arguments for thinking that the, the ontological argument can't be parodied, it's not the case that those, all of those uh, responses depend on a privation theory of evil. Mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, another one of the. <clears throat> like arguments from consciousness um so like what's the symmetry going on there they're proposing and like how would you kind of uh, respond to that yeah well so this this one i think is um you know i'm i'm somewhat more sympathetic to this symmetry than i am to some of the others because mm. like i think you you so the idea is basically look um an evil god is roughly as likely to create a world with that involves fine tuning for life and consciousness um as a good god is um now you know one thing we say in the paper is that you you know um the good god hypothesis has some quite straightforward reasons for um saying that you know the hypothesis predicts that god would be likely to create a world with conscious life and involving fine tuning and so on. Um, and you know, one reason is to do with um, what's been called the kind of diffusive nature of goodness. So uh, goodness, sort of like by its nature, um, involves something about kind of wanting to increase and it, it sort of overflow and expand. Um, and so, if if that's right, that that goodness essentially involves a sort of urge to kind of increase itself, um, then it, it, it sort of does sort of, uh, yeah, it does make sense why it would be quite likely that God would create fine-tuned conscious life. Now, with the evil God hypothesis, you know, I certainly it does seem like you, there are versions of the evil God hypothesis where, you know, the, the evil God has a psychology that makes him want to, uh, the, the the thing he really desires is to torture people, um, which is, of course, going to involve consciousness and fine tuning, I suppose. Mm. I, I think that the point there I just want to make is that it's less clear that that just follows from the nature of evil itself. Like it does seem like a coherent sub hypothesis of the general evil God hypothesis, but 
it's not so clear that that's like just the it's it's not clear that that's like the only or even the most likely type of psychology that an evil being would have um and so because you you might think as well well um an evil another kind of psychology an evil god might have would be one that makes him just want to be isolated from anything outside of himself or or just have a desire for for destruction which would mean he would just even if he did kind of create a world he would just want to destroy it like before anything got going really so all that to say it's it's not saying that <clears throat> that there are no reasons why an evil god might create a world with consciousness and fine tuning but just that it's not clear that the reasons that an evil god might have would be as strong as the reasons a good god might have for creating life mm. Yeah, that's good. Um, so then the last section of the paper, and you talk about, like, this is probably the most prominent thing is, like, with theodicies, um, with, like, the evil God challenge. So, like, some proponents will say, like, um, you see the theists will use all these things to try to reconcile a good God with all the evil in the world, or we could do the same thing with, like, an evil God and all the good in the world. Um, so what are your thoughts on, like, does the evil God challenge show that theodicies are, like, an absurd notion? Well, the, the evil God um, challenge shows that someone who thinks the that <clears throat> the reverse theodicies are absurd should also think that the positive theodicies are absurd right so so um for, yeah for a certain subset of theists who think <clears throat> when they look at the the reverse theodicies that the evil god challenges describe and they think that ah, that's ridiculous like um you know god wouldn't it, it wouldn't be the case that an evil god would create free will in order to to um, have evils which are freely brought about rather than just brought about by God's direct will. So if, if someone looks at those reversed theodicies and thinks they're just ridiculous, that they don't provide any reasons that offset the problem of good, then they should think that the uh, theodicy, the positive theodicies that theists give to defend against the problem of evil, they should think those are, are ridiculous and absurd as well. Um, I'm not a theist who thinks that those reversed theodicies are absurd. Like I, I think they do give some genuine reasons that um, that mitigate the problem of good to some degree. Um, so therefore, I'm not committed to thinking that the positive theodicies are absurd either. Hmm. Now that so, was oh, yeah. Sorry. <clears throat> No, I was going to move on to the next question. Um, so, do you have anything you want to add before we, we move on? No, I mean all that to say, yeah. So, like, I I I do um, accept that the you know most of the major theistic theodicies can be reversed, um, and and I don't think the reversals are just absurd or something like that. I don't necessarily think they're all as strong as the original versions, though. But yeah, maybe maybe this will come up in the question you're about to ask. Yeah, so um, the question then becomes, like, do you think that, like, the asymmetries, um, be, do you think that there are any asymmetries be between, like, the problem of evil and the problem of good? Yes, I do. So the the way the way that you know, articulated this in the paper um, that's, that um, I've written on this is to say that, um, so, so think about this. Um, imagine... A world um, that we can call torture world, in which all of the the conscious creatures in in that world are experiencing just horrible agony for every moment of their existence. 
Um, <clears throat> now compare that with a world that you might call mixed world, where um, <clears throat> you know we've uh, we can kind of choose um, between various courses of actions, and um, you know we suffer in this world, but we also experience good things and and pleasure and so on. Um, and so, uh, and you know, people misuse their freedom and, and they hurt other people and, and, and all of that sort of thing. So now if I put the question to you, like which world would you be, would you prefer to exist in? I, I mean, I think it's just really obvious, right? You, you would mm. prefer to exist in mixed world. <clears throat> um, so that, that suggests that very strongly suggests, I would say that an evil God would have overwhelming reason to prefer to create torture world rather than mixed world if he has a choice between the two, right? Yeah. I think that's very plausible. Um, now, now kind of think of a third world, which we can call bliss world, um, which is a world where um, people don't sort of exercise free choice. Um, they just, but they just experience pure kind of unmitigated bliss for every mo moment of their existence. Um, it's just like that, you know, they're all on a, on a beautiful beach, just enjoying the sunshine. And they, it, they, they, um, you know, it's, they don't get to choose between different courses of action and, and they don't get to do stuff like that, but they, they do just get to enjoy themselves for all of the time that they exist. Now, if I were to ask you, which world would you rather exist in, bliss world or mixed world? <clears throat> I don't know what you would say, I, but at least I think this is plausible, but it's not as obvious, right? And th this is the key thing. It's, I, I would suspect that you, you at least pause to think about that for a bit, because it's not totally obvious which one you would, you would prefer to exist in. Um, and, and if that's the case, then what that suggests is there is an asymmetry here, because whilst an evil god would have overwhelming reason to create torture world rather than mixed world, um, like if, if the evil god's all about causing maximal pain, <clears throat> maximal suffering, of course he should choose the world which is the one we would least like to exist in. On the other hand, the good god doesn't have overwhelming reason to create bliss world instead of mixed world. And so that's, that indicates that there's a significant asymmetry here, because what that means is that an evil God, the evil God hypothesis predicts a torture world, whereas the good God hypothesis does not, or doesn't nearly as strongly predict a bliss world. Uh, it's, it's much more, plausible that a, a, a good god might create a mixed world than it is that an evil god would create a mixed world. <clears throat> yeah, that, that's really helpful. Uh, maybe someone could say like, well, maybe a perfectly evil being would maybe want to create a torture world, but wouldn't a perfectly good god um, want to create like a perfect world with like no suffering at all and not a mixed world? Um, so I'm curious maybe if you have any thoughts there. Well, I, I, again, I put it back to the thought experiment. Like when you think about which world would you rather exist in, a mixed world or a bliss world, I, I don't know. I'll tell you what, what I, in response to that question, I have some uncertainty and I, I can see reasons why I might want to exist in a mixed world, mm -hmm. uh, at, least for, at least temporarily. 
Um, yeah. Whereas when I think about a torture world and a mixed world, I, it's just so obvious I wouldn't want to exist in a torture world. And so mm -hmm. insofar as God's reasons for creating have to do with our preferences and, and the, you know, the experiences that conscious creatures would have, um, it seems like, yeah, a, a mixed world might very well be a, a world that God would create, at least for a time being. Whereas when you think about an evil God, that it's just it's just very implausible that an evil God would create a mixed world rather than a torture world, which is clearly the world that we would least want to exist in. Hmm. Yeah, that's great. Um, so that's all the questions we have. Um, there was one thing that popped up. Oh, wow. I just lost my screen there for a second. Um, there's one thing that popped up um, because I know you're British, so I don't know if you have an opinion on this, Max, but um, football opinions on who will win the Super Bowl. Um, I think he's referring to the Champions League final because I saw it's like Man City and Chelsea, and I don't know if you are supposed to uh, or you just have no, no interest in like English football. No, I, I, I do follow uh, football or soccer, as you guys would call it very uh very much from a distance so like yeah I, I mean i'm aware of the champions league um oh who do i think is gonna win i reckon man city mm -hmm. that's probably the safe answer do you have a favorite club i don't anymore i used to when i was growing up i used to like liverpool mm -hmm. but okay. i've never been but... to so i didn't have a good reason to support <laughs> really. it's just yeah <laughs> that's fair um well mac th thank you so much for your time it's been so much fun um talking with you about the evil god challenge do you have any kind of like last thoughts things you want to say before we wrap things up here oh thanks zach um yeah i uh that's a good question i mean i think <clears throat> i think this whole debate around the evil god challenge is um i suspect there's a few more rounds to go um, and I think, you know, actually, I, I would say I, I did, um, you, you may have seen this, I did do a discussion with Alex O'Connor on this, um, this topic. And, and I think he raised some, some objections to the points I made in the paper, particularly around the relation. The, the one that really got me thinking was around the relationship between God and moral truth, um, which is something I need to give more thought to, because he wanted to say, well, fine, we can't call evil God evil on some of these theories of how God relates to moral truth, but we what we could do is reframe the evil God hypothesis as a hypothesis that the good God is cruel, malicious, and so on. Hmm. And I, th I thought that was a, a really interesting point and certainly one that I'm, I'm wanting to give more thought to. Um, and I think, I mean, one one response, but this this might not this might not cut it, I'm not sure, is to say that, well, the the relationship between um, goodness and uh, sort of the character traits of, you know, cruelty, uh, sorry, the character traits of being loving, being kind and so on, is 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 a non-contingent one such that, like, it, in no possible world could there be uh, a God who was good and yet had these character traits. Mm. So anyway, I, all I have to say, I think there's more that needs to be thought about in that respect. But um, yeah, I don't think um, I don't think I have a, any other comments on it at this point. Mm. Yeah, well, it's been great, and I appreciate you joining me. Um, there's a link down below where you can check out the paper.
this. Um, if you're the channel, as always, well, you to subscribe, um, leave a like, and support on Patreon if somehow you're hearing this. I think my connection just dropped a lot. Um, but Max, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a lot of fun, so I appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me, Zach. Take care. Bye. <laughs> and thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Have a good one, and God bless. Mm-hmm. <laughs>